Hello and welcome to episode 291 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and uh, throughout 2021, we've had an ongoing miniseries uh, with several episodes, each about the different story segments and expansions of Final Fantasy XIV, that popular multi- massively multiplayer online RPG that captivates a lot of RPG fan staff and a lot of our listening audience as well. So uh, this is our fourth episode of that series. We're going to talk all about Shadowbringers, the 2019 expansion to uh, Final Fantasy XIV. And joining me here are uh, two, oh, t- two other FF14 enjoyers, um, starting with Caitlin Argyros. Hey guys, you didn't think I would miss a discussion about Final Fantasy fourteen, did you? I I mean if if they listen to random or retro encounter, I I should hope not. <laughs> if, if, if Caitlin, if anything, you're the, the biggest FF fourteen evangelist that I know and uh are one of the authorities on the video game that I know. I don't know if I'd say I'm an evangelist. That kind of has a negative connotation to it. I'm not that much of like a rabid you know, praise Final Fantasy fourteen and and you know burn alive the heathens who don't. I mean, some of our all right, like, okay, I, I agree that's, with that and think that I I do, but I'm just I'm passionate. That's more of a televangelist. I was thinking of maybe the exact um, uh, etymological root of the word of the word, which means bringer of good news, and. I mean, you, you're, you are a lover and player of FF14 that uh, was one of the people instrumental in getting me into FF14 several years ago. But um, before we get too deep into that story, let's introduce our other panelist making his triumphant return to Retro Encounter, Makus Gaspar. <laughs> That's me. It's great to talk to you again, Marcos. It's been, it has been too long. It really has. Oh, heck yeah. It's been like what, ages. Jeez. And I, I retired uh, way back in the day. Yeah, I think you retired in in uh, in in late 2020 sometime. I could go into my spreadsheet and figure out the last episode of Retro you were on, but I don't want to do that because that would mean less time talking to you. It is great to hear from you again, and uh, um, you have also played through most of Final Fantasy 14 and 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 through the at least the base part of Shadowbringers. Is that right? Yeah, I've completed um like the the main story for Shadowbringers, and like I'm only like one or two patches behind, but uh, I played a lot of it and loved a lot of it. Awesome. That is more than enough for me. So, uh, listeners, uh, let us share our Final Fantasy XIV journeys, uh, with you just so you get an idea of where, where we come from and what we're about. I'll go first. I have said an abridged version of the story a couple times already in 2021 on these podcasts. So I'll keep it brief. I got into Final Fantasy 2016 through a combination of peer pressure from my RPG fan friends and, uh, the, and seeing Super Sentai costumes and poses in one of the 2016 patches for, uh, Final Fantasy 14. It was, it was related to the, uh, Alexander raids around that time. Um, but I got really deep in. I was captivated by the story immediately. I binged it incredibly hard that year, getting through all of Realm Reborn, then took a break for a while and got back into it real hard again in 2018, playing through all of Heaven's Word and Shadow, um, no, Heaven's Word and Stormblood back to back. And then right around when Shadowbringers came out, I got back into it, finished the Stormblood post game and beat Shadowbringers, but then took a break again in, I believe, spring or summer of 2020. 
20, and I have not been uh, subscribing to Final Fantasy 14 for about a year. Um, but with Endwalker coming up and the hype building and building uh, within the FF14 community and RPG fan, uh, I'm it's only a matter of time before I resub. So uh, I, I am not quite caught up to Shadowbringers content again. I I am also a few patches behind, but I did play through all of 5.0, and I'm excited to talk about uh, Shadowbringers for this episode. So uh, either Marcos or Caitlin, uh, t- tell us a in a in a more uh, a more expanded version of what I did. Um, what what your Final Fantasy fourteen journey was like? You can go ahead, Marcus. I think everyone knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> so you mean the, my entire Final Fantasy fourteen journey? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah go, go for um, it. And, 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 and please go deeper than I did. Um, I'll see if I can remember. Uh, that's going back way. Jesus, uh, yes, maybe like a year after I got married. Uh, so this man around 2016 is when I. I decided, you know what? Everyone else is enjoying Final Fantasy XIV. Why aren't I? And I said, I decided uh, to pick it up, uh, subscribe to it, because uh, at the time, my computer really, uh, the computer I had before in like 2015, couldn't handle the game, even though it's not very demanding. But when I upgraded my rig, then uh, I was completely gung ho. And then I jumped into a Realm Reborn and completed it within, uh, I think, like a month or two, because uh, I was really like uh, into it. And then when I finally hit um, <laughs> Heaven's Word. <laughs> A.K.A. Hot Elf Boyfriends. Oh, my gosh. And I was so into that. Uh, I loved every second <laughs> of, uh, like, uh, the interactions and what was it? Estinian? Oh, yeah. The, the, mm. one, one of those handsome potential elf boyfriends. And was it? I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Elizin boyfriends. Uh, was it Amrick as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he's my go, baby. go down the list. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is uh, such a boo. I loved uh, the little that I was playing as a... Um, uh, how do you pronounce the uh, the, the the cat that is in uh, Mikito? Mikote. 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 I had a Mikote uh, young lady uh, enjoying a nice date with uh, Emmerich uh, in her lovely uh, sundress. Absolutely wonderful, delightful. Loved that scene so much. And it was like small things in, uh, during that um, like scenario that I actually really enjoyed. Uh, other wait, than- wait, hold, 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 up, hold up a minute. Are we three Mikotes here? <laughs> at one time oh yeah at least for myself oh okay oh darn i've always thought, been a makote i've never been tempted to change races i i am also been a makote from the very beginning a uh um a a a, a keeper of the sun uh, um, same, male, same. Male, male makote uh, the same for you i was a uh, was a keeper of the moon then was the other one uh, I'm, I'm sorry it's, it's a keeper seeker. of the moon and seeker, seeker of, of the, the sun, sun. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. So you were keeper of the moon, and I was yep. a keeper. And Caitlin and I were our seekers of the sun. My bad. Yep. Um, I, I want to say I was probably seventy five percent of uh, uh my Final Fantasy uh, journey as a uh, Makote, and I decided to uh, switch over to uh, what was the next uh, Elizin, and then uh, after that played all of uh, Shadows Bringers as that, and then decided like at the last second once i completed it i was like let me try the other races so i i at least jumped one to uh what's a human uh here higher mm-hmm. uh yes correct yeah and uh so far that's what i'm currently playing as my character's name uh because uh just so i don't forget to bring it up is a house husband so if you yeah. see a house husband <laughs> yes. running around in uh the fan freak server that's me uh i may say hi to you i may offer you some uh wonderful advice or just smile at you uh, but just know that I am a gentle house husband, and I am just enjoying my time here in Final Fantasy XIV World. It's Eorzean, uh, and I love it. Uh, not si- not single. Sorry, uh, um, young ladies and young men and everything. I am taken. Sorry. 
Uh, so you you are a working house husband, and not a potential future house husband to others. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. I'm so sorry. The name is indicative. <laughs> uh, but um, regardless, um, what was it? And after that, it was like once I got to Heaven's Ward uh, in 2016. Um, I remember I hit a, a patch where I had like a string of like bad uh, pugs I was playing with that I couldn't, like, get past a certain point to where it brought you to, um... Well, where are the, the Moogles in, uh... What's, what's the name of the place where the Moogles are in Heaven's Ward? Turning, turning Mists. Yeah, I could not get the Turning Mist mm-hmm. because I had played, like, three, four pugs of, uh, people that, uh... were just really either really bad or just, uh... would kick me for some reason. And, I, hey, mind you, I'm not the greatest healer in the world, but I am pretty good. Uh, but if people keep running into uh, AOEs, I cannot save your life. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can only do so much. So um, this was you were running Somal, and you couldn't get yeah Somal. Yeah, I remember that perfectly. Uh, that name because it's uh, scarred into me. I stopped playing for uh, uh, the dead series. This is bad players I was playing with, and I'm again I'm not a great player, but I know when I'm uh, and then, when I'm good that, or bad. That's the level. That's say the level fifty five or fifty seven dungeon, right? Yeah, it's like I think halfway into Heaven's Ward, maybe or not halfway, at least like maybe two thirds of the way in. Yeah, that, that that sounds about right. But man, that that stinks. I I've, I haven't had uh, that much trouble in, in in any story dungeon, at least. I mean, maybe maybe some optional trials or raids, but not not a story dungeon. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was wild. It was that a story really dungeon. Weird. If it was a raid, I'd understand. Dungeon to heal, so I don't think it was. You know, I I don't know what they were doing to you know screw things up, but I, you know that is a thing. People love to blame the healer when shit goes wrong, even if the healer is not doing anything wrong, and it's all you know on them. I'm not I'm not saying healers are always perfect, but yeah. people like to point the finger at the heals when they die, even if it's totally their fault that they died. Yeah, and um, I stopped playing for like maybe a good like six, seven months, and then I retired back to it. Just starting a uh, with uh, out with a new character. Uh, that was my character, uh, Riona Gill. Um, I, I should point out, uh, House Husband was not my original character. It was Deirdre Gill. Then it went to Riona Gill, and from Riona Gill, I I uh, turned it over all to House Husband. But uh, man, you you you've spent some money on Fantasians over the years, then, haven't you? Uh, only maybe once or twice because I, when you complete the main scenario, you are gifted a uh, Fantasian. If I rem- yeah. if I remember correctly, yeah. And and uh, I, I am getting the name of that right. I'm, I I could be mixing it up with the Hironobu Sakaguchi game. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, yeah, I was gifted a um a um a game every time I won. It was great. <laughs> Sounds like an amazing deal. You should play Final Fantasy fourteen if you haven't yet. Um, but once I finally, uh, came back, I played as a scholar, originally a white mage. Uh, if, if you're healing for the first time or playing for the first time, play as a white mage. It's, it's, yes. it's a lot more easier, uh, because playing as a scholar, I, I wanted a bit of difficulty and just, I, I guess I was just wanted to be a little bit proactive with my healing just so I wouldn't run into like the pugs I dealt with at Samal. And, uh, for most part, I was a scholar until, um, the beginning of um, Shadowbringers, and then I switched over to a DPS. I became a summoner, and I loved every second of it after that. And I was like, why why wasn't I playing a summoner before? And that was only because uh, I only switched to summoner because the summoner and the the scholar uh, shared the same experience pool. Had it not, I probably would have switched over to uh, Black Mage, 
which I'm currently leveling up right now on my house husband character. And it's, I love blowing stuff up. It's the best. I, I also leveled up a black mage uh, during my most recent stint in FF14. Uh, and I leveled it up all the way to 80 because in, uh, in Shadowbringers, the job quest system is not exactly the same as previous expansions. Mm-hmm. Instead, there's a series of four of them, one for each type of role, uh, physical DPS, magic DPS, tanks, and healers. And I didn't have any magic DPS higher than 50, but I really, really wanted to see the end of that quest. And uh, so I had to complete all the role, all the job role quests. So I leveled up a black mage from 50 to 80 <laughs> around the time I was doing post game in FF14. And, uh, I agree. Blowing stuff up is really fun and, and zapping stuff is a fun, uh, is a fun sort of damage over time also. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't mention this earlier. Um, for I started out as a as a monk um, DPS main in FF14. But after I tried every role, I discovered I really liked tanking, and I've been a warrior main ever since. Um, and for a long time, I would keep warrior and monk around the same level. So like like Q for DPS when I was messing around, and Q for warrior when I was being serious. But uh, I, I've mostly settled into a, t- a tank main. Um, but but uh Caitlin, I know that you also are a healer main, uh similar to Marcos, but I'm sure that your uh FF fourteen journey is not the same as either of ours. So uh how did they all begin and how is it going for you? Um so I started playing Final Fantasy fourteen at the end uh, December of twenty thirteen. So the game had been out the the you know, a Realm Reborn had been out for about six or so months. Um I had uh one of my friends uh is a uh, former, well, emeritus editor, because she still does some stuff for us now, um, and was talking to me about 14 and, you know, said you should start, you should check it out. And we I, can say who it is. I'm, I, Liz was on the Heavensward yeah, episodes. Yeah. So <laughs> Liz Moss, if you've, if you've uh, seen her around or remember her from, uh, from the old days, um, she's one awesome lady and, She's very passionate about Final Fantasy XIV, and she got me to get over my uh, sort of um, reservations about playing MMOs. So I checked it out, and I, uh, you know, fell in love with it. It helped that I met some other really cool, awesome people who also happened to uh, currently or in the past work for RPG Fan, and hung out with them a lot, became good friends. Um, and sort of that helped to solidify my interest in the game. So I was kind of hooked from that point. So you can, you can do the math. I have been subscribed since December 20, or, well, actually I take that back. The first month was free. So it would have been January, 2014. <laughs> um, you can do the math as to how much money I have spent on this game. Uh, I have the base sub if anyone actually wants to do the math. So <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It, there's something about the game that just kind of, uh, spoke to me i i i wouldn't say that it i'm addicted because i think i play a far more reasonable amount than some people in the game but um it really kind of proved to me that uh mmos can be just as good if not better than single player games certainly better than a lot of single player final fantasies um and I kind of like I haven't looked back since. And then you know, Realm Reborn was great. I enjoyed it. Heaven's Word was kind of uh, amazing, though. Like in terms of uh, 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 you know raising the bar for what we could expect from the game. Um, I you if you've seen my review, my you know sort of belated review of Stormblood, you know that I am not as big of a fan of Stormblood. But there's a lot of good in Stormblood, despite my issues with the main story. 
And then, of course, Shadowbringers did what I didn't think was possible, and it made me, you know, say, okay, uh, not so much friendship with Heaven's Word ended because I still really like friendship, but like new best friend is Shadowbringers because <laughs> I wasn't sure that they could, they could top Heaven's Word, but they did. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I, as I mentioned before, I've always been a Makote, uh, girl, cat girl. I just, yeah, I, I like being a cat girl. Um, I'm actually, and you know, I'm actually a girl playing a cat girl. I'm not like some other people I could name playing <laughs> cat girls. <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I, I think I started out as a archer, as a bard. Uh, although I, I quickly, I remember I shifted the black mage and I did level a conjurer briefly, but my, my main job at the beginning was bard. And then I swapped to healer um, during final coil, I think, was when I swapped to healer, uh, white mage, at the, fir- at the first. Um, let's see. I was – technically, I was scholar main for, like, the first tier and a half of Alexander, but I wasn't a very good scholar because I was playing on console. And not that you can't play the job on a console, but eh, I have something about – all the skills and pet management just is kind of awkward with controllers. It's, it's the same way that placing any sort of effect on the ground can be awkward on controller. And if you have to do that for pet management and pet control, it's not always the most fun experience. But also just Scholar has a lot of um, a lot of mitigation and pre-preparation and stuff like that. It's not quite as much of a, oh, you're hurt. I'm going to heal you right now. And, you know, I don't have to worry about prepping stuff for the future kind of uh, heal job. So... I don't think I was the, the best job for me. Um, I'm curious if they're going to adjust how Scholar works in Endwalker because uh, Sage really, really looks like uh, a a shield-heavy preparation-style healer. So I'm wondering if they're going to uh, make Scholar like go closer to no. the, the healing. Oh, they aren't. <laughs> well, it's going to be four healers, and they're clearly going for a two-of-each type healer. So Scholar will mm-hmm. remain a shield healer along with Sage. Ast is going to get reworked. Ast is going to become – It's they're probably going to axe the Nox stacked, uh, sect entirely or heavily change it. It's not going to be a shield healer anymore, mm. um, which will suck for Ast mains because uh, – They've had they've had their identity really shifted a lot over the course of the last couple of expansions from how they've completely nerfed certain aspects or removed certain aspects of the job and they've they've heavily simplified uh the way that cards work so I don't know. I mean like I'm not super choked up about it because I like playing as a region healer and diurnal ass is a lot more fun for me to play than knocked ass is and I will probably like not having to worry about joining a party first as an ass and then having to potentially switch to knocked if I get a white mage healing partner um, unless I feel confident enough that we don't need shields but um, yeah I don't know diurnal just on, on, on ass feels a lot better to me um well, I mean, you are a seeker of the Sun Mikote, and those are diurnal. So yes. maybe it, it just fits. <laughs> and I and I love it. We are already into the jargon here. Let's go. This is let's get weird. Yeah. Um, I'm a white and, mage main now, though. I tried to be an ass main for most of the last tier of Eden, and I'm okay at it. But I think I think I, I am meant to be a white mage. I am I'm best on white mage. That is my main. So that's kind of be my main probably 
for the for the you know foreseeable future and healer main for sure like i'm i'll dabble in tanks and dps and level them and do them in side content but uh i'm a healer main at heart i i am that person there who is rolling my eyes every time you take a volan stack or step in a, a, a dodgeable aoe and i have to heal you or res you or sacrifice my dps to keep you alive so that's me i'm i'm salt mage <laughs> I, I, I want to say that I am better than most uh, melee DPS at avoiding <laughs> at, at avoiding D, uh, AOEs, but I, I, I can't say I'm guiltless. Uh, I, I am a tank main who does a lot of melee DPS, and I definitely have taken on too many Vuln stacks uh, in my day. And, and I should mention, uh, again, I Warrior and Monk are my two mains, but when I was trying out all the expansion jobs uh, in 20... Eh, I, I guess like late 2018 and into 2019, I really, really fell in love with, at first, Samurai, and then after starting Shadowbringers Gunbreaker. And they have become my sort of backup tank and melee jobs uh, like i like i, I when i want to be serious and try to clear some content i'll run warrior but like i secretly kind of have more fun as a gunbreaker because they're just a little bit more active a little bit more busy than warrior playstyle. And, uh, and and monk and samurai like, like I, I love monk but samurai is like a monk with fewer challenging uh challenging positionals and big and bigger damage numbers and that's there's something very fun about that plus uh, uh sam uh gunbreaker and warrior uh share equipment and so do samurai and monk so i, I it was e- it was easy ish for me to try and maintain only two equipment sets and uh and have those four as sort of my main jobs but then i also leveled up white mage and black mage all the way to 80 for those uh, for those job quests in shadowbringers so my uh job identity has uh, changes a lot, but r- really, I'm a warrior main with some monk samurai and gunbreaker on the side. Uh, but yeah, gunbreaker was one of the two jo- new jobs they added to Shadowbringers. They added gunbreaker, which is a gunblade tank job, and uh, wow, I'm blanking right now. Um, uh, Dan dancer, which was which is a uh, a ranged DPS job that wields uh, uh chakrams or boomerangs, and uh, they brought some really interesting stuff to the table. Like a uh, gunbreaker has uh sort of moves that build off other moves and and is basically just a very combo heavy tank that has a, a couple really good damage mitigation skills and uh, a, a healthy uh, mix of of single target attacks and AoEs while Dancer has you play like uh, 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 Caitlin maybe you played more Dancer than I have because I I've barely touched it um it, there's a lot of like rhythm based patterns to um to pull off for extra bonuses uh, and and you also choose a dance partner, which is typically one of the other DPSs uh, in your group uh, that that gives your so that your dances give yourself a boost, but also give your dance partner a damage boost. That is a a fun mechanic to play around with. Am I mostly accurate there? Yeah, um, it's sort of like a Simon Says game that it has you play. You have four different moves that correspond to four colors, and you have to hit them in a certain order in order to pull off the buff or the maximum buff. And, uh, I mean, it's not like you have to do it in, you have a set amount of time for the dance to complete, but you have as much time as you really need to hit each button. So it's, it's, it's okay. easy, Simon says. It's, I mean, the only tricky thing is if you're trying to do it while other mechanics are going off and you're like half blinded, but it's pretty easy, Simon says. And yeah. You, ah, so, so, so you're, you're referring to the colorful toy Simon and not the Dennis Rodman movie Simon says. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and you alternate between um, a uh, uh, one move that gives you and your dance partner a buff, but then you have a, a te- another move that gives the entire party a buff when you do it yeah. off. So, and other other than that, it's just a lot of like uh, procking skills. It's there's a ton of procking going on with dancer between as much uh, as bard. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of similar to Bard in a very oh, wow. similar respect, and and the the main management with Dancer comes with uh, navigating the uh, the feathers that you get um, for doing various moves that let you do other moves that then can proc um, for more damage, uh, your flourishes and whatnot. So uh, it's just it's a lot of like this is this is proc. I need to hit this. That is proc. I need to hit that. It's it has. It has a rotation, but it's also a lot of a priority-based uh, DPS where it's based on whatever is proct at the moment and what your your uh, your gauge is at, your your feather gauge is at in terms of what you do when. Yeah, I, I always thought of Bard as the proc heaviest job. Uh, and, and listeners, if you don't totally get what we're saying, a proc is basically when uh, one skill has a chance to activate another skill or or build a meter to that can be activated for more skills. So. Slightly randomness dependent, um, like basically seeing your, uh, your tokens build up or your, or new skills, uh, proc at the behest of others m- make, um, bard and dancer and, and some other jobs kind of reactionary and, yeah. ba- and based on, uh, and like as you see your meters build or your procs build, uh, allow you to use more powerful skills. And yeah. I, and I, and personally, I had always known bard to be the job very heavily reliant on procs, but, uh, but evidently there's a lot of procing going on in dancer as well. Yeah, there is. Uh, I kind of think the dancer is a little bit easier to manage than bard because bard, bard like a lot of your proccing in bard is from your your dots uh, critting is what yeah. has you proc and so you have to make sure that that stays up. You have to rotate your songs. You have to you know do some of your uh, basic attack combo or not combos but basic attack proccing that uh, dependent on whether or not you have a buff up or it's or it's procked or whatever. Oh uh, dancer, yeah. Either. Dancer is kind of crazy in terms of how much can proc simultaneously and figuring out the order of operations, but I feel like it was easier for me to keep track of all that than trying to make sure, okay, do I need to use Iron Jaws? What dance did I just do? What dance am I supposed to do? Or what song did I just do? What song am I supposed to do next with Bard? But Bard has changed a lot over the the expansions. It's really morphed and for the better. Because, uh, you know, screw the whole heaven's word, you have to stand still and be a physical DPS that's a caster, effectively. That was awful. But it's a lot different from when, like, I played it as my main back in, he- uh, back in Realm Reborn. Like, totally different. Yeah, um, most of the vibe now is that ca- um, powerful magic and casting jobs uh, need to stay in one place in order to get, in order to maximize their damage. Uh, and, and of course, there's they they all have tricks for getting around and escaping trouble. Um, while uh, the the range DPS like bards, machinists, and dancers are much more mobile while they uh, while they get their skills off. Uh, uh, Marcos, did did you um try out any of the new jobs in in uh, Shadowbringers, Gunbreaker, or or Dancer? Um, I tried to like I, I got the I unlocked the the quest to get the jobs, but once I tried them out, I I didn't care too much for it. I kind of just like stuck with a. Uh, uh, summoning, uh, or summoner rather, and just trying to learn that because uh, having learned that rotation was a little intimidating, and I had to practice, <laughs> uh, especially when I went got to level eighty. Um, yeah, the summoner rotation is a yeah, little too intimidating for me. Really yeah. busy. It is really busy, but uh, there are times where you're actually moving around a lot because you're not really uh, 
held down by especially when you're controlling your pets you're kind of just like mashing the button as fast as possible trying to get as many like whatever i forgot what the moose called it's been seven months uh whatever the final attack for either phoenix or uh bahamut is uh just to make sure that you maximize dps and not forgetting to uh uh don't make sure forget to use devotion or whatever it is don't let that sit um but yeah i i i i was mostly just uh trying to learn that rotation i i'm probably like 70 percent there but there's still times where i'll drop it uh and i'll just like awkwardly look around like Gosh, I hope so. no one noticed that. <laughs> yeah, summoners and ninjas, uh, maybe less so now because I know they did simplify the ninja skill bar stuff a little bit. Uh, those are the two jobs that have like demand the most concert pianist skills out of players, I think. Um, uh, and again, the uh, like seeing what a high level summoner rotation looks like scared me off of leveling up summoner a lot. <laughs> when I was uh, especially, I, I, I think, in fact, when I was trying to figure out which job I wanted to level up. Um, to get to, for, for those job quests, it was between Black Mage, Red Mage, and Summoner, all of which I had at 50. Uh, but, um, let's actually talk about Shadowbringers a little bit. I mean, we, we that, that was a fun job and skill discussion, especially about the, the two jobs in, introduced in Shadowbringers. Uh, but the one thing that I think Shadowbringers did that, that impressed me the most in the early goings, uh, was how they quite literally drag you into a new world. Um, at the very end of the uh, Shadowbringers quest, I'm sorry, excuse me. At the very end of the Stormblood um, post-game quests, um, one by one, your uh, several of your allies mysteriously fall into comas while you're hearing a mysterious voice in your head, and uh, th- this happens to uh, five people: um, Thencrid, Yishdola, uh, Orionje, Alphano, and Alice, and then finally to you, the player character, the Warrior of, the, of Light. And for a while, you don't know what's what's going on or why this is happening. Your allies are not dying. They, they're falling into weird comas. Um, but when it happens to you and you go on a spectacular brain journey, uh, you are you find yourself in a place called the Crystarium. And uh, some people there explain to you that they have been trying to um, to summon you to where they are for some time now. And, and, and I think accidentally summoned your friends on uh, a few occasions before, which is how those other five people got there because uh, the Crystarium is on the first and uh, the first is a, not exactly an alternate dimension, but a, but part of the FF 14 world because uh, now I, I hope I'm not missing this up. Um, the world, because of a, of a giant clash between two primordial gods, um, uh, Hydaelyn and Zodiark, Hydaelyn being the goddess of light that is almost your sponsor through this adventure, uh, the world was divided into 14, uh, pieces. The source, which is the world you're from, and 13 alternate realities called shards. And the first is shard number one of, uh, of this split reality. And it's, they aren't exactly perfect mirror images of each other. They're, uh, the parts of them mirror each other, but then, you know, different things will happen in each shard. But what happens on shards can influence what happens in the source. And, uh, you also learn that the Asians, one of the, uh, the evil shadow organization that you've been battling since the Realm Reborn, uh, are worshippers of the dark god Zodiac. And part of their goal, of their goals are to, um, unite all of the shards back into the source to make the world one piece again, because that will enable them to, uh, 
we're going to get into the into this, into this more complicated story very soon, but that will enable them to you know uh, uh, like resummon Zodiac and achieve their other goals, which again we will get to soon. So what was ha- basically there's a there is a crisis on the first, and uh, and at one point. Um, some warriors of the first visited, uh, the source, our, our homeworld, uh, calling themselves the Warriors of Darkness in the 3.x, uh, Heavensward post game. Uh, and, and you ended up fighting them and, uh, and, and because they were trying to save their world and, but something had gone wrong. And now, uh, four years worth of expansions later, uh, the, the people from the first are summoning you and you need to try and, and save that world. Uh, which the Warriors of Darkness were unable to do uh, er- earlier. Now, the thing that, uh, going back to what impressed me the most about Shadowbringers, um, for the first time since 2013, since the very beginning of FF14, I feel like I'm really visiting a new world. Because what goes on in Heavensward and Stormblood, like like you're visiting new locations, and they're part of a, uh, of a very impressive whole world, but they, they, it, it feels contiguous. You feel like you're just going somewhere next door. Well, but the first is a weird reflection of the world that we already know, but it is fantastical and strange and subverts expectations in a way that was a mind blow to me. I, I think the first couple of areas on the, on Shadowbringers is more of a like, 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 like Dorothy stepping into Oz, Alice stepping into Wonderland kind of moment that I hadn't felt since, I don't know, maybe since, uh, parts of Heavensward. It, it, it blew me away. Uh, so, uh, let's so start with you, Caitlin. What were your sort of thoughts and feelings in the going into the early stages of Shadowbringers? Do you, am, am I right in, in calling this a more fantastical Final Fantasy 14? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think hey, you start in Lakeland, right outside of the Crystarium, which is this wide open forest of beautiful purple trees and hills and a, a crystal clear lake. And it's so colorful and beautiful. And it's um, it's supposed to be the first version of Mordona since the Crystarium, the tower, the crystal tower is is there. Uh, and you have the lake, uh, you know, keeper of the lake. Um, but so you can kind of recognize it as such, but it's all, it's at the same time, it's just so different and beautiful. The, the color use throughout Shadowbringers and lots of the areas is really great. Um, but I think Lakeland was a really great place to pull us to, to sort of right out of the bat, uh, make you feel like, you you know, oh boy, we're, this is not, we're not playing here. You really are in a different world here and it's really different from what you're used to. And I think... Uh, like you said, I think the game needed that. Like, um, it's it's cool to learn to to widen the map on the source and go to different countries and see, you know, the sort of whole land, uh, the whole the whole planet, the whole globe of uh, of the source. But I think it was a really smart move to send us to the first here and give us a little something different. Um, and it's even more so, I think it's amazing because we, we know that that wasn't necessarily their intention. They weren't originally going to send us to the first, uh, in its part of Shadowbringers, but they decided that they, you know, we needed to have that sort of, uh, 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 experience. And I'm very glad that, uh, we did because it turned out to be a good sort of like, um, it's not, it's not that the game was getting stale or, or, or boring, but it was still a good, I think, 
palate cleanser experience and a uh, uh, like you said a more fantastical uh, experience. It definitely feels more like what you might expect from like a traditional single player Final Fantasy kind of experience. You know, you you're, you're thrust into this strange world that's in crisis, and you have to save it. And there are lots of interesting new villains and bad guys and you're not sure of their motives and the stakes get high and you know you're teetering on the edge at the very end of are you going to save this world are you going to save yourself kind of thing really just had the sort of classic hero's tale thrown in there in a in a way that was really cool and uh, um yes uh your goal on the first is to save the first, and we'll get into that in a minute. But also, your uh, those warriors of darkness I mentioned that were in the 2013-2014 content in FF14. Uh, you, you because time flows differently. Their act, their actions took place a hundred years earlier in this version of the first that you're on, and they basically were the first warriors of light. But because they were using too much light energy and did too good a job of defeating the forces of darkness that the forces of light outbalanced the forces of darkness. And now the first is basically plagued with eternal daytime and, uh, and evil apparitions of light called, uh, um, Oh shoot! Is is, is it? Uh, are they they called light? What are they called again? Sin not, not light bringers. Sin eaters. The sin eaters. Sin eaters. That's it. That's it. Um, and and light wardens are the most uh, are the most powerful sin eaters, mm-hmm. and they're plagued by sin eaters, which are basically like uh, they would be like demons, but they're they resemble things like angels or ivory st- or marble statues. Uh, of of things like 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 uh, like lions and doves that are just real crazy version like or or, or kind of like the weeping angels from that uh that, those Doctor Who episodes from like ten years ago, um uh don't know if we we got any Who fans in the audience but it, it's like basically having to restore the balance towards darkness in a world plagued by light and the world being this crazy colorful ver- um mirror image of uh, the world you're used to is is just such a cool subversion of what FF14 already was. And, uh, and, and for most of the game, the player characters referred to as the warrior of darkness when they're in, uh, the first, because, uh, that being the nature of their quest. And, uh, pretty soon you realize you, what you want to do is, uh, is relocate your friends because when they fell into weird comas in, uh, in, 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 in the source, they were also being transported to the first and, uh, um, help, help them in the regions that they've settled in to, and, to, you know, uh, right local wrongs, as it were, and defeat the light wardens that are sort of the pillars of light holding up, uh, uh, supporting the uh, forces of light. So if you defeat more light wardens, you would allow night to ha- like night to fall to actually happen in the first once again. Because again, it's ha- it's had eternal daytime for for uh, almost a full century, which you know has affected the local ecology just a little bit and weirded out a lot of people just a little bit with the crystarium being this sort of crystal sanctuary near the center of the world that is a uh, one of the last few safe havens in the first uh, and uh, even when geez like even when you very when you go to the first for the first time a uh, a wagon train you meet a wagon train operator just like when you uh, play a realm reborn for the first time but seconds after you meet him 
like you, you see him, you you see his decapitated head because he's been murdered by a sin eater. Like th- this is a crazy, fantastic, colorful world, and but these angelic appearing sin eaters are as savage and dangerous as anything you've ever faced in FF14 before. It is such a crazy clash of visual, uh, of visual and conceptual ideas at hand that I uh, like my jaw dropped with every new development playing uh, playing Shadowbringers. It's it's so so cool. Uh, but 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 Marcos, what what are some early thoughts that you had let's say in the first several quests of Shadowbringers? Um cuz you start out in Lakeland and then you go into uh I forget the names of the areas but but one that one that's a, a fake Limsa Lamensa and uh, around around the city of Yulemore and one that's a that's a fake uh a, a fake Ulda in the, in the desert region in the su- southern part of the first. Uh, but but what were some of your thoughts in the early areas of Shadowbringers? I mean, after uh, we've been insected into uh, Norvad over here uh, with our friends, uh, I uh, I gotta say that I absolutely uh, you know was pretty astonished by not only just a uh, you know like like you said like the visuals itself is like it's really striking, especially when you see like a that whole vast of like lightness uh, that just keeps on going, especially in the, um, what is it? The desert area. Um, but my, my experiences with them, uh, of those areas is it, it's really cool. Especially, um, I think the one that really stuck out with me the most or like any questing was in, uh, what's, what's the name of the desert area? Amarang. 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 Yeah, that's right. And, and Amarang is the, where the flood, the edge of the flood yes. of light is. The, the, the all consuming lightness that is, uh, that is swallowing the world. And, and, uh, you said you've been, you were Kiseki'd into the world. Now, Caitlin and I both love <laughs> Kiseki, but that's, that, that, that's a Falcom series of RPGs also called Trails. I think you meant to say Isekai. Isekai, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is a, a, a sort of a genre of Japanese story where someone is transported to another world. And, uh, like, I mean, I, I enjoy Inuyasha as much as the next guy, but Isekai stories have gotten a little out of hand the past couple of years. Mm. But, but, uh, yeah, Marcos, in Amarang, uh, that's where you meet Alize, uh, and this is, the, again, the very beginning of Shadowbringers, but, like, you see people that are slowly turning into Sin Eaters because of exposure to the Flood of Light, and, uh, one of Alize's friends, uh, quite horrifically transforms into a Sin Eater before your very eyes and becomes one of the mid-bosses of the first dungeon in yeah. Shadowbringers. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it, it, like, like, it is a very, very bold, uh, um, like series of events that you see in, in the early stages of the game. And the first dungeon, um, uh, Holdminster Switch, I, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, I was sure I had that word wrong. It, it is less a traditional dungeon and more you, like, sprinting through a village that's under attack by sin eaters and, uh, it's it, it, I don't know. There's a sense of urgency in that dungeon, and the fact that it isn't some kind of shrine ruins or cavern makes makes it seem a little unusual and special for a for an early game dungeon. That, yeah, uh, I love that dungeon so much. It, as it the is opener. It is so good. And the first time you hear uh, uh, "Insatiable," the boss theme in in Shadowbringers, Oof. is a is a like 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 like. Um, oh man, like, 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 just, just like throw down your jacket, let's go kind of moment. It is that, that there is so much forward momentum in that dungeon and such power to that song that, like, it was just the most exciting early impression I could have of FF4, of FF14 Shadowbringers. It, it's, it, it, Hope Mr. Switch plus, plus Insatiable really affected me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, I think that was a great, great choice for the first dungeon. Like, 
like you said, I mean, like, all the dungeons have been pretty linear ever since, like, the early Realm Reborn dungeons where, like, I still have nightmares about think well, nightmares in advance of thinking about when I have to tank them because <laughs> tanks, yeah. of course, everyone follows the tanks. Tanks are supposed to, supposed to know where they're going. And, like, I've done this dungeon a bunch of times, but, like, sometimes I don't remember which path to take. So I've yeah, I've had people get mad at me with that. Uh, oh shoot! What, what, what's the Chimera and um, and sand and sand uh, quicksand dungeon in Realm Reborn? Shifting oh, sands, uh, I think. No, no, that's not the shifting sands. Excuse me. No, I know what you're talking about I, though. I think shifting sands are are the names of the is are what they call this. Karn. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Karn. I think. No, 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 no. Karn is is that's also area. an that's also an early uh, the Temple of Karn is also an early dungeon. That's I, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Um. Uh. Oh, oh well, that's not important. But but yes, I understand a thing or two about tank anxiety. Oh, yeah, no, I know, I know which one. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name, but uh, yeah, 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 I know, I know the boss you're talking about. Yeah, yes, but 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 the, the point you make, you were making stands that um, some Realm Reborn dungeons were uh, uh, like were nonlinear and unclear where to go next, and they became sort of more mission based and uh, and linear. But and also focused more around how to handle individual mobs and how to handle individual bosses than how to simply navigate the dungeon uh, going forward. So uh, all of the dungeons in Shadowbringers are pretty are pretty linear, but have some fabulous thematic designs and fabulous encounter designs. Cutter's Cry is what you're thinking of. Yes, hey, that's what that's I was thinking right. of, and I still don't. I still do not enjoy that. Dun- <laughs> I do not enjoy that dungeon at all. It's no uh, one. No one enjoys <laughs> Cutter's Cry because I, I, it's annoying and it's too long if you go uh, the route the way you're supposed to. Oh boy, I, I I can't believe that I'm I, uh, I I in my brain I have all these dungeons organized by levels. I'm pretty sure Karn is the level 35 story dungeon and Cutter's Cry is the level 38 dungeon. And frankly, I don't enjoy either of them a lot. Um, no. Uh, Brayflock's the level 32 dungeon. I actually like quite a bit more but anyway let's go back to Shadowbringers. bringers switch is crazy um you fight the first light warden at the end of uh at the end of it and all the light wardens are named after forms of uh of love from the because because you know um the greek language had uh has something like six or seven concepts of love and i believe four or five of them are um uh, are 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 uh, named are, are names of important bosses in Shadowbringers. i think philia is the uh is the is the one at the end of Holtmister Switch, uh, it, but but when you defeat it, it's a lot of it's sort of light. Instead of going in, instead of entering another person and transforming them into the next Philia, it goes into the Warrior of Darkness. And because of your, you know, maybe because of your Echo from the Goddess Hydaelyn, maybe because of your special status as the Warrior of Darkness, you're able to absorb it and not turn into a Sin Eater. So, which is you know the, again, that's one quirk of the most powerful Sin Eaters. So. Following that, your quest becomes seek out all the other light wardens, take them into you, and when all of them are just dis- are defeated, darkness can-, can return to the first again. So that becomes at least part of the main story thrust through Shadowbringers. And uh, um, the-, the second light warden res- uh, resides in an area called Ilmeg. You're sort of chased into there by a very dangerous man named Ranjit. Um, uh, but uh, Ilmeg is, uh, I believe, it's the uh, this world's version of um, Ishgard, which again is a, a a cold, frozen landscape in the in the source. But in the first, it's a fairy tale kingdom with more color than a cotton candy stand. It's and pixies and pixies and 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 numos. Don't forget my. Don't forget those yes. very good those very good doggos. Um, and but also a, a the uh, the pixie king, um, Titania. 
uh, inadvertently beca- uh, became the new Light Warden when uh, when they defeated the uh, uh, the Light Warden that uh, attacked there earlier and has become a a, a dangerous a, a dangerous being that might be destroying Ilmeg from the in, from the inside out. So even though the Pixies are very very capricious and not trusting of you at the beginning, when you uh, when you sort of befriend one of them, or actually I think you befriended them earlier, when you befriend one of them and uh, and and take on Titania yourself, you do gain their trust. Uh, but oh man, I forgot Il- um, uh, Ilmeg is also where you reconnect with Orianger, mm-hmm. one of one of your teammates from the past, and you meet Seto for the first time. Yes. Oh my oh. God, oh. that part of the story is just heartbreaking because again, you're tracing in the footsteps of the Warriors of Darkness, and you meet one of the Warriors of Darkness, Ardbert. Um, who is uh, it, it sort of exists as a ghost or a phantom, and he guides you a little bit along along the way. I, I should have mentioned him earlier, but Seto was his uh, was his companion. Is I, I um I what are the chocobos the the black dragon chocobos in this world called Caitlin? No, Amaro. Amaros. That's it. That's right. Um, instead of chocobos, the first has Amaros, which are black and have some chocobo-like features and some more dragon-like features. The Am- Amaros are really cool looking. But the the large chieftain of the Amaros, Seto, was Ardbert's uh, steed and constant companion a hundred years earlier. And you uh, you help out Seto um, during the events in Ilmeg. And hearing Ardbert and Seto reminisce about each other, but unable to talk to each other because uh, because Ardbert's kind of a ghost, is just so sweet and heartbreaking. It was... One of the first of many weepy moments for them, for me playing this game. <laughs> yeah, that really hits in the feels, especially because you're the only one that can see Ardbert. And so when you eventually meet Seto and, you know, sort of learn who Seto is, Ardbert's there watching. And it's like, it's kind of, it's, and, and there's that moment where you know because amaros are special beings they can they sort of have a a, a way to sense shall we say uh ether uh, around them you know almost uh, kind of akin to maybe what ishtola can do with her uh blind eyes um uh, and there's a moment where i think seto can tell that ardbert is there in some capacity and that was that was such a a sweet moment. I believe that's after um, the events of 5.0 proper. It's during the the sort of wind up of 5.0 uh, mm-hmm. once okay. you've uh, once you've merged with Ardbert. But Seto can see the color of your soul, somewhat akin to the Asians, and he can tell uh, who you are uh, or who who is with you, basically. Right, and and he, even when you first meet Seto, he mentions that you remind him of Ardbert. And his companion, so he he can mm-hmm. sort of tell you're special, and and which is why he cooperates with you. And uh, part of that quest is uh, asking he to gain his trust. Seto asks you to find his badge that had fallen to the bottom of the lake n- nearby. And when you do, he mentions that this was his most prized possession because Arbert gave it to him, and he felt it like it was a symbol of their friendship and how much he and how much he valued and treasured being the 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 warrior of light's partner and uh and, and ardbert just has this painted expression on his face and uh later when you uh, in a separate conversation when you speak to ardbert he said yeah i always i always called him my partner and my best bud but i mean i just i just thought he was sort of my animal companion i i didn't realize how much that meant to him and that just i don't know that just made me think of all, all the the because my 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 family has had dogs for most of my life. That reminds me of just all the friendships I've had with my my family's dogs, and and 
I don't know. It, it hit me in a way I wasn't expecting a story about the hero's chocobo would hit me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know it's not a chocobo, but <laughs> – but, it's it's the equivalent. Yeah, yeah like, like holy moly, and and there there are, there is emotional weight to even so many of the small stories in Shadowbringers that it was I was constantly surprised by it. Uh, after after you defeat Titania and get out of Ilmeg, um, you go to the Lahi Forest, which whose name I don't remember, but it's going to be the Lahi place from now on. Raktika. Yeah, Raktika <laughs> Great Raktika Greatwood. Thank you, um, because it's a uh, <laughs> it, the zone's music um, has a is is a uh, is a chorus of a of a of a newly developed language that that features the word Lahi uh, often. I believe it means wake up. Um, but, but it's not the Rage Against the Machines song, Wake Up, I promise. The, the tone is a little different. Um, but in, in, uh, Rock Teaker Greatwood, you meet up with Ishtola again. Uh, you right the wrongs of this area, find a village of Fiera, which are the, uh, the mostly female bunny people that are, uh, that are one of the, um, one of the new races introduced for Shadowbringers. Uh, and, uh, you, you uncover some ancient ruins. Uh, you do eventually challenge the Light Warden there, but maybe most importantly of all, who do we interact with heavily for the first time in Rock Teaker Greatwood, Caitlin? Uh, well, there there are two people, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, one of them is Ishtola. You finally find yes. Ishtola. Yeah, uh, you know the one I want to talk about now, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, uh, a certain Asian who you might have seen at the very end of Stormblood dancing around Emperor Varus and being all, you know, dance, you know, you're, you're a puppet on my strings. Uh, his name is Emmett Selk, and he is the best Final Fantasy villain or antagonist or a really freaking extreme anti-hero, because I don't know that villain is really the accurate term for him. Mm. Um, in the series. I, there I said it. All of you Final Fantasy VI fanboys can come at me with your Kefka's the greatest or all you Final Fantasy VII fangirls or you know you love Sephiroth. Emmett Selk is better than both of them. The end of the story. And yes, I have not beaten Final Fantasy VI, but I know enough about what? Kefka to make that joke. Uh, oh, okay, 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 Caitlin. I am with you that Emmett Selk is a better villain than Kefka, but I am not with you on you not beating Final Fantasy VI. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, just uh, just convince Square to do a remake with Octopack Traveler's Engine, and I'll play it. Hey, um, Dragon Quest Three might be the test case for that. So we'll, I know, right? We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll I'm excited. This, we'll see where this goes. But uh, um, back to Final Fantasy XIV and Emmett Selk. Uh, Emmett Selk is an Asian, so one of the eternal darkness beings, worshippers of Zodiac. Uh, we knew a little bit about him before, but um, he had uh, his backstory is so fascinating. We won't go all the way back yet, but. Um, Early in his career, he traveled to the source, uh, became the first emperor of Gar- of Garlemald, and sort of has been manipulating the rise of Garlemald and the uh, and and their war with the rest of the source for many many years. And so when he appears at the end of Stormblood, um, the the uh, emperor Varys is shocked to see him because he's like, well, well, "Grandfather, I thought you died." I was like, "No, he's not grandfather. He's not your grandfather. He's an Asian that has been." possessing or manipulating your grandfather for a long time but now he's in the first and his motives are very weird and unclear because he he helps your party a couple times um uh, reviving Yushtola when she's near death and uh and and guiding you to i i think the next light warden uh is because and basically it seems like he wants you to accomplish your goals until he doesn't <laughs> 
I it's yeah, like his motives are kind of interesting because you're never quite sure if he is being honest um, about he, he 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 shows himself to you um, in the Crystarium. I think is the first time you see him, um, or the first real encounter you have where he introduces himself um, anyway, and you know who he is. And he, you know, he says he's there because he wants to see, you know, whether or not you can find another way besides the Assians doing their Assian stuff and the signs and the warriors and warrior of light, uh, you know, trying to thwart them at every end. He basically wants to test us and see, you know, are we actually capable of achieving what needs to be done or are we really just these weak, uh, fractured beings who don't deserve to, uh, to, to live uh, anymore. Um, and you're never, you know, he's, he's, he's just snide enough and he holds enough back that you're never really 100% sure if he's really good for that, if he really means that, or if he's just toying with you. Um, but I do, I do personally think that, yeah, he is, I think, trying to have it both ways. You know, he's having a bit of a Xanadu gambit here where He's mostly set on doing what they've been doing, but he is curious enough and willing enough to give us a chance, even though it's he knows it is nigh impossible for us to meet the level that he wants, because he is ultimately interested in seeing whether or not we can prove him wrong. And I think he goes through most of the expansion or most of that patch expecting us to not be able to prove him wrong. But I think he is open to that possibility, and that's the only reason why he shows himself or talks with us or tries to explain to us what's going on, because he wants to see if if we have all the information before us, if we understand uh, what happened before the Sundering, if we really understand who Heidelin or what Heidelin and Zodiac are, and if we really understand what the Assians want, if we really have to be enemies or if there isn't some way that we can in fact reach the same goal. Now, and I don't think he ever really intends necessarily to abandon the method that the Assians have uh, set forth as reaching that goal, but I don't know. He's he's had a lot of time on his hands between, you know, manipulating the Garlean Empire and all of the shenanigans that uh that he's sort of sat, sat back and, and let, um, you know, Elidibus and Lahabrea and Nabrialis get up to during the previous expansions. So, you know, I, I think he's, he's curious and bored enough, too, that he kind of wants to, you know, toy around a little bit and just see if things can get interesting. Right. And um, around this point in the game, sort of near the midpoint of the Shadowbringer story, uh, uh, Emmett Selk makes it very clear that the Asians are trying to unite the... Uh, the world that was fractured, and that Zodiac and Heidelin aren't exactly gods, but primals of incredible power. And primals being, again, um, beings in the Final Fantasy XIV world that are given uh, life and given form through uh, worship and through the energy of crystals. So with Heidelin and Zodiac being maybe the two original primals, or at least the two most powerful primals, uh, summoned by an ancient civilization and the, with their clash resulting in the world being split apart and the uh, Asians quest being to try and unite the world together, even though the, uh, that unif- reunification um, has inc- in, in insane consequences. Uh, Marcos, what was your reaction to the, the first couple meetings of Emmett Selk? And, uh, or, or what are your overall feelings about him? Because Caitlin's are certainly very strong. Well, I mean, at, when the this absolute Chad is uh, revealed to everyone, I thought, you know, this guy is looking uh, pretty amazing here. And uh, he, he presents his uh, case pretty well, too. 
he continues to like uh seem that you know he should be a sympathetic character it's like you know i have to live through a thousand generations of like people dying and living lives and all that stuff and you know he's looking down on all these like uh other races like lesser creatures that's only in comparison because he's just been through so much trying to achieve this goal and i in the end like uh i want to say for uh, about like you know 50 percent, 75 percent of the journey anything dealing with emmett selk i I thought you know what if this game gave me the choice to decide what's emmett selk i probably would but then he gets kind of a little crazy at the end it's like I mean, I'm just going to destroy everything. And he even says that, like, at some point um, when he's in the um, Crystarium uh, with the Exarch and uh, all the other uh, Warriors of Light, uh, that he that he he sees them all as, like, fractured beings, so he would have no problems just straight up killing them. <laughs> and I was like, that's a little uh, tough to say uh, to a bunch of people, and then you want them to do what you want. That's, that's kind of hard to sell. Yeah, uh, well, um... The thing about Emmett Selk, and or one of the things about Emmett Selk, is that he, uh, the civilization that the Asians were originally a part of, they, they, I mean, they were the chief denizens of the whole world before the Sundering, and and were the groups that summoned uh, Heidelin and Zodiark, and he believe he looks upon that world as the world of complete enlightened beings, and the world that he sort of uh, lived in and valued in like incredibly deeply in his heart. But after the sundering, um, some of those people lived on as Asians and, and became determined to reunite the world. But some souls were split across the multiple shards and the source. And so like they, like uh, Emmett Selk, because of just the nature of what he is, views most of most people in the world as fractured or incomplete, or at least incomplete compared to the near perfect beings that were his his original society, and uh, and he's simultaneously encouraging of you because he thinks that you might be able to support his vision of reuniting the world eventually, but also disappointed in you because like you aren't exactly the same kind of person that uh, that that his people are, and 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 you're resisting their uh, his uh, like the Asians' goal of un- of reunification. In a way that again, it's like sometimes he's proud of you, sometimes he's disappointed in you. In a way that is a weird vibe for some for someone that's part of a group that has been openly antagonistic of everything since the beginning of FF14. Yeah, so but that, like, it's weird with Emmett Sulk though when he attests you in like the final uh, in, uh, dungeon of the game. He's like, "Here, mm-hmm. pass this uh, test. You passed it. What? You passed it? Well, get ready for another final judgment." And it's like. Okay, I I was like, you know, no no matter what, I don't think uh, anyone was going to like uh like meet up to uh, his expectations until, you know, the warrior of darkness is or like I should say, uh, meets up to the expectation uh uh at the very end of that. I won't spoil it. I'll let you guys spoil it in, in a second. But well, um, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. I'm not going to say anything. But, um, because I mean, you, you do sort of continue through the world um, to seek out the other light wardens and defeat them. The last war- light warden you encounter is Valthry, mm-hmm. who is uh, the the despotic ruler of the city of Yulmore, which uh, a, a, a city that has seemed to have domesticated or even or even capitulated to the sin eaters and and allowed uh, a very very busted society of um, of a uh, of sort of like an evil oligarchy and and a weird a weird 
a, a weird dystopia that that creeps out the warrior of light and and uh, Alphano a lot when you visit there for the first time. But but, but again, begin the, the ruler of Ulmor is the final light warden. When you defeat him and take in the light into the warrior into you, the warrior of darkness, things get real weird, and you're launched into the end game. Um, uh, and and but you don't. Let, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what happens. Uh, Caitlin, what, what, where does the story go after you defeat Valthry? I think he's, I think he's level uh, 79 dungeon, right? Yeah. So you absorb him and then you start to react violently like other victims have because the light is too much for you. You are on the verge of turning into a light worn yourself mm-hmm. when the Crystal Exarch, who is the, the man, the leader of the Crystarium, who is the one who is contacting you and accidentally summoned all your friends and has been helping you this whole time, shows up and reveals his secret plan, which is you suck up all the light, and then he takes it from you and he shoots himself into the void and dies to save you and to save all the people that he accidentally brought to this uh, flooded world. Because, big reveal, he is Grahatia, who you should hopefully know by now because um, the Crystal Tower raids are now mandatory to do MSQ. They weren't at the time of 5.0, which is stupid, but anyway. Uh, he is a secondary character from the uh, Crystal Tower raids from back from a Roman born. He is a Mikote who is also a descendant of the Allegans mm-hmm. and very special in the tower and you might have recalled that at the end of that raid he sealed himself away in the tower in order to guard it and protect it from people who would try to pillage it and use it for nefarious things. And there's a reason why he is in the first uh, a very specific reason that has to do with Bad shit happening in an original timeline, namely the eighth umbral calamity. Yeah, oh and boy. the whole reason why he's in the first is because the descendants of that calamity found a way to send him and the tower to the first so that he could then call us to the first uh, and stop it. Um, so there's all that. And there's the whole emotion of realizing that he's one of your, you know, former companions you thought you were going to see again. And then Emmett Selk. So you know, shows his true colors and shoots Graha and takes him away to the Tempest. And you are very nearly almost turned, but you have to keep going in order to confront Emmett Selk and save Graha and try to figure out a way to not die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, a bunch of crazy stuff happens at once. Uh, if, if, uh, it would it would probably take a whole another podcast episode to explain exactly what happens in the Crystal Tower, but it's a combination of time travel after centuries into an apo- a near apocalyptic timeline, um, doing a like zooming a cent- a centuries older Grahatia into uh, into another dimension and going back in time, f- causing the Crystal Tower to form in the middle of the first where it hadn't been there before, and then the the Citadel of the Crystarium forming around the Crystal Tower and employing the Allegan technology from deep in the engines of the Crystal Tower to to power and sustain itself. It's wild trying to wrap your head around it and one of the post-game dungeons of shadowbringers uh the twinning which is one of the dopest dungeons in the whole game holy moly <laughs> uh it, it is uh also like fleshes out that story and uh and and that uh concept a little bit um especially if you take the time to read all of the all of the uh lore notes scattered around the twinning which i mean i mean who does that i i read yeah. them online later but uh definitely <laughs> definitely you should at least look at the storylines of alexander and the omega raids before yes. you do that dungeon because it'll make a lot more sense 
Yeah, it's a dungeon. Okay, you know what? Let's jump ahead and talk about the twinning a little bit. It's a post-game dungeon, so you have to be level eighty to do it. Uh, but it, it basically, and it, it's in the ba- it's in the basement of the Crystarium, is its location essentially. But in the it, Crystal Tower, yeah. yeah, 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 in the Crystal Tower, which with the Crystarium is built around. But it uh, basically it is um, descendants of Biggs and Wedge and Sid from from the source from thousands of years earlier had uh had had like were developing time travel and interdimensional travel technology to to save the first with the crystal tower and uh so the twinning dungeon uh is the technology that they used all sort of you're you're fighting um its defense mechanisms and other uh and other monsters around that so it's a combination of Alexander's technology from Heaven's Word Omega's technology from Stormblood and Crystal Tech uh Tower technology from Realm Reborn all uh pieced together and the ba- and the battle theme that goes through most of the twinning is uh is um uh, uh, uh excuse me is uh, is arrangements of music from all three of those with the uh with the final boss of the twinning being an arrangement of of uh of the of a song from the Alexander raids uh performed live and it is all so cool holy crap i love the twinning i love it i love the meme with the twinning yes. that they <laughs> so oh, lovingly yeah. recreated during fanfest this the, year the, it, uh, uh, yeah the twinning had a popular meme uh that w- with a you know going between light party and full party and a gif of a young man dancing that is a uh, that is a complete delight to behold and then they recreated a meme in a live performance at the recent fanfest event and I mean, how much, how much do the developer and, and community enjoy inter- these kind of interactions? It's, I, I can't think of a community that loves, uh, a game community that loves, uh, their developers as much as FF14 fans love Yoshi P and, uh, and, and so can. Like, I, I can't mm-hmm. think of one. I, 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 people, and I, the developers love the fans too. It's <laughs> obvious how much. It's, it's not just about <laughs> like you know this is their job and oh they want to avoid backlash. They, no, they really do love the community and want to give us the best experience possible because they love us. So it's just you know, it's a really wholesome you know for every you know for every asshole that you deal with in Party Finder or Try Hard who is you know like oh my DPS. There's way more people who are. Lovely people, friends, love this game, love the developers, and the developers realize it. And they just, you know, they shower us with lots of good stuff and in, clearly enjoy seeing what we come up with with their game. Now, all three of us have been following the game industry because we have, you know, deeper interests in video games than merely playing them. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we, we all at least know a little bit about that. Um and and it's easy to be cynical and uh and in the interest of being a realist say that i mean look these these game developers are doing this for their job they they definitely have some passion and probably used to have more passion but it's become a job for them and they don't care about fans or gamers they they they're just trying to make their games and sometimes that's true but with ff14 and again i can be as cynical about game development as the next person but i i really do feel the love here it is remarkable how how there is such a, a feedback loop of positivity for the fans um showing so much affectionate affection for the creators and the creators really doing their best to live up to fan expectations and, and, and like like when Sokin was talking about his cancer diagnosis after mm-hmm. the performance uh, both Yoshi P 
and the translators um, saying Sokin's words in English and everyone in the audience and me at my computer screen were crying real tears because like there is so much love and passion and dedication from the fans and from the creators interacting that it's, it's incredible being part of this community and, uh, and, and taking part in Final Fantasy 14. And we're only, we've only finished talking about 80% of the storyline of, of Shadowbringers, but I don't care anymore. This is, uh, uh, this, this expansion and this game and this community are, an incredible realization of, uh, of, of passion from fans feeding into passionate developers, creating a labor of love that has shown financial success to match or at least support this, uh, th- this amount of passion. I've said the word passion five times in a row and I'm not, I'm not eating passion fruit boba or anything. I, I just, I'm just talking about how much we love and, and everyone loves and how much love is in this game. I'm talking nonsense. Please someone say something else. Yeah, no, I think, you know, Yoshi P has said before that he considers Final Fantasy fourteen his life's work, and I don't think that he's saying that out of any out of purely out of sense of obligation, like it's my job. It's more just that he recognizes it as you know his calling in a way, like you know, and that's something I think really special that he feels dedicated enough to the game to say that it's not just. He's he's just going to work on it until it's over. No, he wants he wants to keep working on it for the rest of his career. It's not something he feels he has to do because you know someone is telling him to. It's something he wants to do, but both you know for us and for himself. And that's kind of like that's hard. That's that's unusual. I think to see developers that are that passionate. You know, it's it's a word. It's a good word uh, to use about what they're creating and not just because it's what gets them paid or wins them awards, but it's because they, it's what they want to do and what they love to do. And like, you know, you mentioned Sokin that is that I, I did not cry. I thought I was going to, I think I didn't cry because I knew I heard about the diagnosis before I was able to watch the concert because the concert was at like 5 AM my time and I was not staying up for that. Um, so I think I was prepared and didn't react like the way I would have, if I had seen it live. But it's such a touching story. I've talked about it on random, but I'll say it again. Uh, and I, I 100% believe him, and I'm sure Marcos will agree with me, that music is so powerful. It is so powerful. It's not just about listening to a melody or a lyric and just saying, oh, that sounds nice. There is real power that can affect your mood, that can affect your outlook on life, that can affect how revved up you feel to do something or how down the dumps you feel and just want to curl up with a blanket and watch TV or whatever, that music can do that. And I 100% believe Sokin when he says that music saved him when he was battling cancer uh, over the course of last year. And somehow, despite that, managed to keep working, didn't tell anyone besides Yoshi P. Uh, and I think, I think they mentioned he also might have mentioned it to the CEO, but like he didn't tell the dev team about it. And apparently one of the one of the, the most touching parts of that story was specifically the five point three trial theme to the edge. Um the story lead, Ishikawa, would, would go back and forth with him about making trim making cuts of the song so that it would fit the cutscenes uh better. So it, the, the idea is there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of specific detail work on this song, and he's in the hospital fighting cancer while doing this. And I don't know, it's just like that level of dedication 
is amazing. But also, I, you know, like I said, I, I can understand how the passion for that music gave him the will to keep fighting what is one of the scariest and hardest fights that a person can have. And that song was already my favorite song in the game before I learned this. Now it's like, I, I, I don't know how anything's going to top that. It takes on a whole new meaning to look and to hear that song, knowing what Sokin went through when he composed it. And he, the fact that he was so willing to do this, even while fighting cancer, because he knew that the fans that we loved his music and loved playing the game with his music and wanted to give us a, you know, that experience is just like, I don't know how to top that. Like, I feel like we need a new, like, I don't know, a new Guinness world record for something, uh, someone who is that devoted to his craft and that passionate about music and that, you know, that, 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 that much, you know, in love with the community that he's helped create, you know, I just like, I, I, I just, all the awards to Sokin, really, really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I got a music degree, so I have the authority to say that you got to be an idiot to not believe any of uh, Sokin's word on that. Um, and uh, for anyone who thinks that like the dev team or, or even the music team uh, doesn't care about the community or is it really listening, uh, yeah, you got to be out of your mind. Uh, it, is, it is clear like uh, care and uh, uh, careful execution that these uh, fine folks are doing. So if uh, yeah, you're you if you're listening and you have never touched Final Fantasy fourteen, absolutely uh jump into it. Uh there you're gonna come across like a lot of random people, but you're gonna find like a, a niche uh group of people that uh, be just like you when you play on there and you befriend them, join a free company, and have a lot of fun because they tried really hard to make this game fun. And if I'm playing it and still after this long, and for me to stay committed to a game, there's only one game I'm committed to, and that's Steambot Chronicles for the PlayStation 2. Uh, everyone on the site <laughs> will tell you that. Uh, the second game after that is Final Fantasy XIV. And this game is, at, there's just so much love and uh, passion that's gone into it. And uh, Mike's right. Uh, uh, th- there's a lot of passion that goes into it. And you can keep saying passion. You can just spill like a passion-free drink all over the floor. And you would say like, there's not enough passion on the floor uh, because it's everywhere. So if anything, I can only just echo uh, both what uh, Slowsley and uh, Caitlin said. But, so Please play if you haven't. And if you can or you're still a little shaky, you know, just uh, check out YouTube videos. Uh, the memes will definitely draw you in. Absolutely. I love the memes uh, videos on and YouTube. Don't, don't forget you can play for free up to level 60, including all of the award-winning expansion Heavensward, a.k.a. the second best expansion in the game's history. All of it. All of it. All right. If we're, if we're demanding that others uh, play FF14, like like the like inve- the evangelists that Caitlin insists that we aren't, and uh, and 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 talking about Steambot Chronicles for the PS2, we might be nearing the end of the episode. But psych, we aren't. We're still we're still we still have plenty to talk about. Um, I, I mean, Sokin's dedication and his craft are so amazing. Uh, I, I'm just going to hit a couple quick hits here. I mentioned how the twinning, one of the best dungeon songs, combines elements from the previous three expansions. And uh, Insatiable, I mentioned how much I love that boss theme. It is an appropriation, a new version of how so many Final Fantasy battle themes begin with a staccato dun 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 but they, but they, but they bring it with a new rhythm with the dun 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 like that, just that adaptation. And how um, one of the other posts game um dungeons and shadowbringers uh anemnesis and Eider is a new arrangement of sastasha 
the very first dungeon in Final Fantasy XIV, um, but with a new tone and fighting different Sahagan sea monsters along the way. And, 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 uh, and there is so much thought and craft and into each song. And so many of them are unrepentant bangers that, uh, even if you are so against the idea of playing an MMO that you will never play FF14, please go on a YouTube safari of its music because it it is one of the signature, uh, pillars of what final fantasy 14 is and and uh so again soken is so beloved by the community for many reasons including uh how passionate he is um that it's it's remarkable but caitlin mentioned probably 15 minutes ago that uh emmett selk takes grahatia into the tempest the tempest is a is a um underwater area or uh, a watery area that was recently deprived of water because of crazy circumstances uh and it's the final zone of the game and after you explore it heavily you realize that emmett silk has sort of built his own citadel um to the ancient civilization of as of Asians that existed thousands of years ago it, it's a it's a recreation from his memories of uh of the world that he used to love that he's trying to restore and as you explore that for the first time and go through the final dungeon of the game which is called amorat after the name of that ancient city uh, um, Emmett Selt sort of forces you to experience the calamity, uh, that he experienced when the city was first destroyed, um, just prior to the sundering of thousands of years ago. So you're going through this ancient city that you recently explored ruins of, or a recreation of it being destroyed and with twists and with all kinds of crazy monsters, um, uh, attacking it. And after you defeat that, you, uh, you fight Emmett Selt, Emmett Selk himself, who at one point thought that maybe you would be able to see his vision and join his cause or at least help him in his cause. Uh, but, uh, but ultimately you don't. So he decides he has to defeat you and you merging with the soul of Ardbert, the, uh, the former warrior of darkness, the warrior of light of the first is what's able to sort of, um, make you a more complete version of yourself and keep the, uh, the, the light warden inside of you from escaping. Uh, and, and, uh, and it all, it's also at least hinted at, if not said so more explicitly, that part of the reason that Emmett Silk wants you to join him and wants to believe in you is because the version of you, or, or maybe your soul, uh, used to be one of his closest friends in that ancient civilization. So, like, Emmett Selk was seeing you and supporting you, and literally seeing an, a fractured, incomplete version of someone whom he used to love. Maybe not a romantic partner, but at, at, at least a beloved friend. So oh, I had candidate as romantic. Right, right, I, 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 that, it, that is a very fair interpretation. I'm, I'm only not saying it explicitly because I, I think it go, it go either way, but it, yeah, I can. Yeah, but, but right. But, uh, so like Emmett Selk wants nothing more than just to restore the world to what it was before this disaster. And in you, Emmett Selk sees some, uh, sees a beloved friend or, or lover from those centuries ago. So it just completely breaks his heart for you to not see his vision. And he ultimately tries to fight you and, 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 uh, and, and, and kill you. Um, he takes on the name Hades, which, which is maybe his true name when he, uh, uh before the sundering, uh, it's the same Hades that you might recommend as a final, Fa- excuse me, might recognize as a final fantasy seven summon and final fantasy nine super boss. Uh, it's a, it's a hell of a final trial to be an, the end boss of Shadowbringers. And, uh, as you defeat him, um, 
uh, Emmett Selk, you know, as he's sort of fading away or, or, uh, or in his dying breath, he says, remember us, uh, in just a complete, a, a poignant, tragic end to Shadowbringers that takes an Asian, one of the shadow beings that has been nothing but evil since the beginning of Final Fantasy 14. And for a moment, like Marcos mentioned earlier, makes you wonder if maybe it would be okay to take their side. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so powerful. And, um, uh, FF14 ends on a kind of happy note with, uh, you and your friends emerging out of the Tempest, uh, with Grahatia, uh, back at the Crystarium. You see all your friends that survived the events of the game, which, which is most of them, uh, and, 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 and basically have a happy, um, scene before the credits roll. But man, Shadowbringers is an emotional journey. And we haven't even talked about, um, about Minfilia reincarnating into a young teenage girl who was trapped in a cycle of reincarnation that Thancred, uh, tried to help her escape. Or, uh, the community that, uh, Ishtola sort of became the den mother of in the Raktika Greatwood during that part of the quest. Uh, Runar! Or, oh, poor Runar! Yeah, or the, um, oh my god, um, the, the ad- adorable, uh, I forget what Mikote are called in the, uh, in, in the first, but the, 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 uh, middle-aged Mikote cult, uh, couple in Yulmore that become <laughs> your sponsors. Julia I, I, Chai! Yeah, oh, yeah, the Chais. I love the Chais. I love them so much. That's a great little sub-story about, uh, Chai News. Uh, her husband, <laughs> yeah, you know, going from being that sort of decadent, you know, everyone in Yulmore was very, uh, who lived above, you know, in the rich part was very spoiled and, you know, just lazed about. And he is, he's one of them, but he's also a, an engineer of these giant stone golems that they used to use all over the place. And part of the, part of the sub story is getting him to be okay with the idea of taking over as a, as a leader of Yulmore once you deal with Bothery. And I just, I loved that side story so much. And Dulia Chai is just so perfect and loving and supportive. And I loved her, her, her friendship with, with Alfino. It's just so adorable. And, and, and the, the crazy thing is, uh, the Chai's remind me of two of my friends, a, a married couple who are in, indeed a slightly, uh, uh, stuffy, um, a uh, uh, person with an engineering bra- background and a uh, and and a heavyset red-haired wife who is just a a, a complete um, being of love and of love and trust. It's the, the the Chai's are incredible and they almost seem like comedy characters uh, who are just ignorant to the plight outside of their of their bubble, but are but are end up as as completely lovable and supportive and and are are so like even the seemingly in unimportant NPCs in Shadowbringers are just so beautifully written. Uh, Shadowbringers is, I think, my favorite part of Final Fantasy XIV, and the entirety of Final Fantasy XIV is one of the most amazing video game projects, communities, uh, uh, accomplishments in existence. And uh, I'll, I'll, we were, you know, practically advertising FF14 to you listeners uh, a, a short time ago. And I'm going to reiterate that, like, it, 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 even though it's an MMO and a lot of people have reservations about them, about them, including me five years ago. Uh, but it is it is so awesome that if you have the time investment, then 
at, at least try that level 60 free trial because it is one of the most incredible Final Fantasy journeys and in one of the most incredible RPG journeys that, uh, that I've ever experienced. And, uh, I, sh- and listeners, I shared my FF14 journey with you over the course of these four episodes, as did eight others, including Marcos and Caitlin here. And, uh, and I hope that we communicated some enthusiasm and passion in these podcasts because, there is so much uh, to love in FF14. But so before we go into final housekeeping, uh, please just share with me, um, each of you, one thing in FF14, one, let's say, optional thing that is among your favorite parts of uh, Shadowbringers. It can be a dungeon, a trial, a raid series, a side quest, just just one thing we haven't talked about yet that you want to gush about briefly. Uh, I'll, I'll go first, give you a, a, a chance to think about it. Um the alliance raids in Shadowbringers are based on near automata and near replicant, and weirdly also the first and second Dragon Guard games. Um, <laughs> they're uh, they they were written by Yoko Taro, the cre- uh, writer and creator of all three of those, and um and, and also have uh, borrowed um, a music staff from near, but are uh, a a a weird alternate story and appropriation of um concepts from the near games that are really dramatic and make for exciting and and occasionally quite challenging raid series. I haven't I haven't done the third phase of it yet, but uh but Copied Factory and Puppets Bunker are uh, are a pair of of real wild rides. And uh I think you should um you should definitely experience them if you can listeners even if it's just watching a video online and hearing the uh incredible mashup of um of uh of torn uh, torn from the heavens from FF14 and uh Dark Colossus destroys all from, from near replicant that's that's the pump, puppets bunker boss theme. Well, okay, so we kind you we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but I really think that my favorite thing about Shadowbringers is 5.3 um because the, the main story of 5.3 there's um it's just uh, on so many levels uh what that patch did was fantastic it uh it kind of it threw into sharp relief the whole this idea that's been running through the entire expansion of we are we are the hero we are the warrior of light light is is has been kind of you know our 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 moniker is light is good dark is bad the Asians are always wearing dark well except for a little bit uh are always wearing dark robes and doing dark bad things and the entire expansion has been sort of about flipping that on its head with us, you know, coming to a world where light triumphed and it went badly. And now we have to be warriors of darkness. And 5.3 really kind of brings that into sharp relief because you end up fighting uh, someone. I won't say who. An, but an, you end up fighting. An, an, an incarnation or avatar of the flood of light. Yeah, the warrior of light, mm-hmm. the the original hero in the Final Fantasy uh, uh, series, you know, lore and whatnot. So it's a weird kind of flip because we are the heroes, we're the good guys, and we are known as the warrior of light and the source. But we are the warriors of darkness here, and we are suddenly thrust into battles against the warrior of light and various other incarnations of warriors of light from around uh the the uh the multiverse of final fantasy 14 and it's just an interesting way to juxtapose the whole thing by by you know bringing into this this question of light isn't always good dark isn't always bad heroes aren't always the people who you know say that they're there to save everybody and villains aren't always the ones that you know you think are doing these awful things 
And I, you know, that was an amazing kind of experience to have this sort of this climax of this expansion because 5.3 is the the end of the the main story of Shadowbringers before they start prepping for the next expansion. But there's also a specific moment during that climax that um, sort of like redefined things for me. It recontextualizes Emmett Selk in a way that made me fall in love with him all over again. And it's it's one brief moment during that trial where he shows up unexpectedly or a fragment of him shows up unexpectedly to help you out of a bind. And I, I, I was squealing during that whole thing because he shows up not as himself, but as an Asian, just dark robes and a mask. You're not, you're not quite sure who he is at first, but then he does the signature snap and then he walks away and he does the signature hand wave that he always did. And you realize it's him. And that moment was, so huge, and combined with the way the the information that we get from Hythlodeus um, in Amarat about the convocation and the revelation about who we are and who we are, who we were to him, to Hades, to Emmett Selk back before the Sundering. I just like there are hints to that, obviously in Shadowbringers, uh, you know, in five proper, but this is the game really bringing it to the focus and making it clear what's going on and i just like i was floored by that and i just really respected the character and the writing that much more uh from that moment and then i'll cheat and i'll say that musically my favorite part of shadowbringers was the um e8s the shiva uh savage yeah uh, the second phase the new oh yeah the remix of footsteps in the snow yeah. from way back and when that remix is so so f- good and it is always going to be on my playlist for grinding content like whenever i have to have background music that's like my number one song i i, so. fe- I featured that song on an episode of uh, rhythm encounter in the, over the winter we were talking about great um winter and icy music and th- that that song is uh, certified dope holy crap yeah it slaps really hard i love it and it's so brilliant i think i said this on twitter at some point it is literally section for section footsteps in the snow but backwards it starts at the end of the loop of footsteps in the snow with that segment of the melody then goes to the penultimate and then keeps going backwards like listen to it listen to each major part of that remix and then go back and listen to footsteps in the snow and you'll hear how it is that same song just flipped up flip, flipped on its you know it's, it's it's on it's going from the back so brilliant man from from the 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 uh what the two point five Shiva fights to the uh five point two Shiva fights even even those are even those are flipped the patch numbers are flipped <laughs> yes. and uh and 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 from Sestasha in twenty thirteen to uh um to uh Anemnesis a Niter in in twenty nineteen Sokin is a genius yes so so um uh, Marcos what's one optional or periphery final uh shadow bringers thing that you want to highlight before we shut it down that's a tough one because uh shiva was one of them uh but uh if i had to go about anything it was um probably uh my time dealing any of the uh dwarf quests uh and the the names uh for almost like all of them were something amazing and i think one of my favorite ones is called it's it's dwarfing time 
Yes. And just, wasn't oh, there yeah. one where they were trying to find this invisible, like, dinosaurs or invisible creatures, and they're just looking around, and it's like, they finally find it, and it's just like, they're out in the open, they're huge, but yet they're invisible. Kind of like a Loch Ness monster kind of deal. Yeah, the, the dwarves are so goofy and adorable, and their society is very friendly, but also very strange in a way that when you interact with them, it's towards the end of the of uh, 5.0. It's probably yeah. when you're in the level 78, 79 range. Um, but they're they are hilarious and lovable. I, I love the dwarf village. Yeah, and um, from uh, it's like even uh, dealing with them to get to the uh, your first raid uh, for the near Altamata one, you're just dealing with uh, like a uh, what are they brother and sister uh, pair. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, and just like all, just all those quests were just really uh, enjoyable. Uh, and of course, I love the 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 near raids, uh, but uh, I I really love the the dwarfs. I didn't think I was gonna love them as much as I did, but when I finally got to them and did uh, a lot of side quests and uh, the quest names, I was like, these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of music, uh, the music has been absolutely stunning. Um, right now, I own like uh, every soundtrack for every main entry. Uh, including the uh, patches, like uh, the Far Edge of Fate and all the stuff, and absolutely gorgeous. And uh, I'm trying to remember, has it been a release for that Shiva one yet? Uh, it's an EP that you can buy digitally, um, and it's going to be on one of, I think it's one of the Shadowbringer selections on the new vinyl uh, albums that they're releasing, but it hasn't been on a, a full album. There, there will be... If, um, you know, tradition is that there is a second album for the expansion yeah. that comes out shortly before the new one that has all the uh, music from the patches that were in the first one. So there should be another full album that will have uh, Return to Oblivion. Yeah, I, I kind of. I, 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 I would. Happen. I would buy an album. I would buy an album that's just the Eden Raid and uh, and Near Raid music from the Shadowbringers post game content because it is all so incredible. And to think that Soken composed at least a lot of it. While suffering from and recovering from cancer is a complete mind blow. Yeah. So, listeners, um, this whole episode has been a mind blow. Uh, we we didn't cover nearly all of Shadowbringers. Uh, I think it would have been a little too boring if we just gone plot point by plot point. But diving into the mechanics of the new classes, to the concepts behind Sokin's music, to uh, to going real deep into Emmett Selk, who's worth his own episode. Um, we could do a whole part five that's just more Shadowbringers, but we won't. This is the final uh, retro encounter at Final Fantasy fourteen episode in this miniseries. If we do more Final Fantasy fourteen episodes, which we might, they will be themed a little differently or about a different part of the FF14 world. Um, I'm not completely shutting the door on FF14 and retro encounter, but I am shutting the door on FF14 in this time in retro encounter. <laughs> Oh, I hope that wasn't too uh, convoluted or overdone. But thank you so much for joining this, us on at least this part of this four-episode journey. And thank you so much, Caitlin and Marcos, for uh, joining me for this episode. Uh, it has been a blast talking to um, so many RPG fan people uh, about FF14. And um, I, I think I, I could not have chosen or uh, or, at, or at least uh, at, or at least asked um, two better FF14 fans for this episode. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. But uh, I'm also happy to be here. We have done 291 episodes of Retro Encounter, and I've been around for something like 75 or 80% of them. Um, that number is disturbingly close to three to 300, and I will give you more de details in episode 300. 
probably next month we are starting to plan it and we have an idea of what we're going to do for it, but we're not going to share that yet. I will share about what we're doing for the rest of June and the beginning of July in Retro Encounter. Next week we have our first of two episodes about Knights in the Nightmare, the DS and PSP RPG that is a combination of genres that's a little complicated to explain, but our panelists will do the best to do so in those two episodes. Coming in July, we're doing an episode on Near Replicant that was originally going to air this month until I got waylaid real hard by Monster Hunter Rise in April. So that uh, I'm going to finally play Near Replicant very soon. Well, I've already started. I'm going to finish playing Near Replicant very soon, and and we will talk about it on a podcast episode in July. Also coming in July, we're doing two episodes on Hakuoki, which is a series of Otome games that was released for the PSP, PC, and other systems starting in the mid-2000s. There's a bunch of Hakuoki games and remakes, so uh, I will leave it up to that panel to explain exactly what Hakuoki they're playing, but I should mention that panel is going to be all women. We decided that to do our first Otome game for the podcast, we were going to have our first panel of all women uh, there to discuss it, and uh, um, Hillary is planning those episodes, and I, uh, I, I believe the panel is assembled, but I'll have to ask her for more details because they haven't recorded yet, but I'm very excited to hear about Hakuoki for our special Ladies' Night um, Retro Encounter Game Journal episodes coming in July. But that's... But July has five Thursdays in it, Marcos and Caitlin. And oh yeah, yeah. So there's there's two episodes I haven't brought up yet. Uh, uh, Marcos, do you remember some episodes you or I were on in uh, in 2016 ar- around when we started playing Final Fantasy 14? Interestingly, where there was a lot of arguing, and I stopped being friends with Peter Treisenberg for about a month. <laughs> oh, did you? Uh, the, are we talking like one of the first episodes? No, no. We're we're talking about. Oh, shoot. oh God! About a series of episodes you're, that you're not talking about what I think you're talking. Oh, about, I am. Uh, what, what is what episode, Marcos? Have we had the most discussion of Steambot Chronicles that we've ever had on this podcast? The Essential Ten is returning. Oh my in gosh! Ju- in July oh, 2021. That's not what I thought you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Final Fantasy 15. No, no. <laughs> because it was 2016 and Peter loves the game. So. <laughs> no, Peter and I had so many arguments about Kingdom Hearts and Zelda on those episodes that I got a little stroppy about it, as Alana might say. Um, but uh, we are bringing back that episode format in 2021, r- close to the five-year anniversary of those first epi- uh, um, of those first 2016 episodes. They are coming in July. The Essential Ten Two. So, uh, listeners, if you if you uh, have questions about Essential Ten or Hakuoki or Knights in the Nightmare or Final Fantasy fourteen or Near or I don't know uh, sandwiches, then please email us. The best way to do so is retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on our message boards, visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our Discord server, our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, something streaming every day on Twitch, stuff being added to the website every day as well. You can also listen to our other three fine podcasts, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, Rhythm Encounter on currently on hiatus about RPG music, and Phoenix Edge also on hiatus, but usually weekly and about current RPG events. You can review Retro Encounter and those other three fine podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever listening venue you are using. We love feedback. Give us feedback. But if you want to give us feedback personally and not generally, how can listeners reach our us via social media? Starting with you, Caitlin. Um, you can reach me on Twitter. My handle is uh, my Final Fantasy fourteen character's name, Aurelia Borel. You can tell from that who I stand. Yes, I do. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, um, Aurelia, the general from Trails of Cold Steel 3. Uh, yes, but it's not who I named her after. She's named after the character from uh, Love, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, the uh, the woman that Colin Firth has a relationship with. Yes, yeah. I love That was my favorite story that, out of all those you know, stories. You know, that that's one of the best ones. It's maybe the most romantic one. But you know what I think is the most underrated story in that? Is uh is uh is Bill Nighy as the rock star with his uh with with his manager and how they realize that they have they sort of been the relationship uh, for over the whole years. I yeah, I, that was sweet. Too. I thought Bill Nighy's storyline is underrated in Love Actually, but which is a crazy ensemble of a movie that uh is still enjoyable even um twenty years after it came out. Uh, it, it, it's almost sometimes I worry that it's too saccharine, but then I watch it and enjoy it so much that I'm not mad anymore. Uh, but okay, this is not a podcast about love, actually. Uh, this is a podcast about Final Fantasy fourteen that should be coming to an end. Uh, uh, Marco, how can listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, sl- uh, slash uh, Rhythm Roo. Uh, it hasn't changed over the years, so you can still find me that way. And what are your thoughts on Love Actually, Marcos? I only remember if I watched Love Actually. And oh, right, I, well, again, I, I want to say that I, I don't remember, but after three years of... Uh, being a dad, I my brain is rotted, so <laughs> I I, well, I forgot a lot of things. Okay, well, I I clearly need to make Caitlin play Final Fantasy VI or finish Final Fantasy VI, and have you finish watching Love Actually? You, you know, you could watch it with your uh, with your kid and enjoy the <laughs> um the the fine Mariah Carey cover that is uh, that is near the end of the movie. It's a it's a it's a, a wonderful rendition of All I Want for Christmas Is You, but um. <laughs> Uh, listeners, if you want to find me, I am not named after my Final Fantasy XIV character, which is Eltrio Altago, which is both a Dragon Quest reference and an East reference, I know. Um, you can, you find me at The Real Monsoon most of the time, which is a Soul Calibur reference, or at Evoker for Dogs, which is a Persona reference. I, I guess I'm just made of references today. I think I need a, I think I need a, like a, a sip of some passion fruit Gatorade and go, to, and then to go to sleep. Um, but listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>